All right, good morning to you. And we really are glad that you're here. If you're a regular attender, we're glad you're here. If you're a guest for the first time, we're glad you're here. If you're here, Judy, for the first time in a long time, we're glad you're here. We're just glad that you're here. So thank you so much for coming. And we're smack dab in the middle of a series entitled, If We're Honest. You know, I love the song, by the way. love the song. And, and a lot of these topics are issues. You know, that's one thing great about being a preacher. You get to preach about things that you're struggling with or, you know, things like that. And that's, these, a lot of these topics are things that I wrestle with in my own life. And I pushed back at first from the song because it says, truth is harder than a lie. And I said, yeah, well, I just, I don't know. Because, well, here's the deal. Truth is harder than a lie, but it's not harder than the consequences. Yeah, that's the deal. That's the deal. You know, it's easier, it's, it's harder to be truthful, to face the truth. But the bottom line is, when we're not truthful, the consequences get really messy really fast. And today's a topic, you know, last week, God just gave us an incredible gift. Um, wow, what an incredible service. It just really was. And, and today's sermon is, I really hope, helpful, but it will not be a woohoo sermon, I promise you that. In fact, it's going to be one we're going to wrestle with because we've got to be honest. And the topic is pride. The topic is pride. You know, there, there are several key words in our lives that kind of push a button for us. Um, I discovered one, one is rich. I'm rich. You know, we kind of push back from that. I did a sermon series, our sermon not too long ago on that. And people in America, most of us, well, no, a lot of us, a whole lot of us are rich compared to the world standard. I mean, you know, we have, we have houses and then we have houses for our cars. I mean, you know, it's just made, you know, more than one bathroom. Most have more than one bathroom. A lot of us have bathrooms for, for every person in the family. So, so it's really hard. But I found out that we push back. When someone says we're rich, we kind of push back. I know personally this year, uh, you know, we were enabled to go to Korea to see uh, Blake and Sarah and the grandsons and we did that. And then we came back and we went to um, Waco, Texas with the Southern Baptist Convention. And then 4th of July rolled around. The way it rolled, we could get away for a couple of days. So we went up to Chicago and several people said, you guys just travel so much. And I told Judy, quit putting that stuff on the Internet. People think we got way too much money. I said, put, so I, so I felt that, that pushback from, you know, you're rich. I kind of pushed back from that. I, you know, I felt that same pushback. Oh, another one, a really bad one is hypocrite. You're such a hypocrite. I mean, it just like grates at our soul. And, and when someone says that, man, we just like go into warp drive of pushback. Don't even want to be telling me that. And then the last one, of course, is the one we're talking about today is pride. You're so conceited. You're so prideful. Um, you're so stuck on yourself, you know, so stuck. You know, again, in, in high school, you heard a lot, you know, they're just such snobs. They're so stuck on themselves. And boy, we don't ever want that to be said of us. And we instantly push back because it's such a negative characteristic. But I honestly believe if we're going to be honest today, a lot of us would have to admit that there are areas or march, much area of our life that we are prideful in. And it's really difficult. Those labels uh, just really cause us to push back. And here's the deal with pride. It's one of those things that I think we're blinded to. It's hard to see in the mirror. It's hard to see in the mirror uh, when pride comes in. And, and that's what makes it so dangerous, that and the consequences of pride. You know, a guy named Alexander Strach, and uh, he is a teacher of church leadership. Okay, I know you don't know the name because I didn't know the name, but his quote is really good. It says, One of the awful things, he says, one of the awful things about pride is that it deceives us. And that's so right. That's so right. And then he applied it to a 
to service, which is one of my, you know, one, one of the things we love to do here at Dorsville is serve. He says, we may think that we are serving God and others, but in reality, we are serving ourselves only. Oh, boy, that stings. That's right. It's so often when we do like back to school, things like that, you know, we do it kind of for ourselves because it makes us feel so good about ourselves. You know, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3, Paul says, you know, for if anyone considers himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. He deceives himself. So this is really a, a big deal. It really is. Um, you know, I, I don't usually quote a lot of people, but i got several quotes here because, again, it's such a big topic. It's such a big topic. Uh, C.S. Lewis, now some of y'all know that name and some of you don't. He was a 20th century, mid-century writer, um, famous for the Chronicles of Narnia. If you saw the movies and read the books, uh, that's who that is. And, and he came to Christ late in, in, his, in his life. You know, he came to Christ like midlife and then really just blossomed as a theologian. And, and he says this, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Let that soak in. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And so I took that and I said, okay, how could we make, could we turn that around and really not deal with humility, but pride? And here's what I came up with. Pride is not only thinking more of yourself, but also thinking of yourself more. Let me say it again. Pride is not only thinking more of yourself, more than you should, okay, but also thinking of yourself more. Speaking of more... Uh, Beth Moore, one of our, our Bible teachers here in America, says something like this. Whether you think more of yourself or less of yourself, you're still thinking of yourself. Whether you think more of yourself or less of yourself, you're still thinking of yourself. And then finally, uh, C.S. Lewis, one more time. C.S. Lewis comes up with a quote that really shows the implications as believers, why this is so bad. He says, for pride is spiritual Cancer. Pride is spiritual cancer. Let me show you how important pride is. How, how, how much we need to avoid it. You know, over in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 17, okay, God lists a list of seven things he hates. Seven things he hates. Guess what number one is? A proud look. A proud look. When you say, God, hey, God, what do you hate? You know, good news, by the way, you're not on the list of things God hates. But some of the things we do is, are. Okay? So, so number one in, in Proverbs 16 is a proud look. For pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. And it does. It does. When we are prideful and we think about us, how can we love others when our world revolves only around us? How can we, how can we be content when, when this, this me button in us goes more, 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 more? And common sense? How many, how many pastors, presidents, you name them, did incredibly stupid things, throwing away ministries and careers over pride. I can get away with it. The law doesn't apply to me. The rules don't apply to me. The Bible doesn't apply to me. It causes us to lose even our common sense. But the deal is, we often think pride's not a big deal. That's the danger of it. And, and here's the deal. It's more than a character flaw. It's a sin. It's more than a character flaw. It is a sin. You know, there's devastating consequences with pride. 
Look, look, think in your world, in your world. Think of careers and character assassinations, those things that happen and how you go, wow, those consequences are huge. But we're tempted to say either A, A, uh, we don't have a pride issue, uh, B, if we do, it's a small one, or that person there has a pride issue. I see it in their life, but I don't see it in my life. We're tempted to think it's not even a big deal. You know, have you ever gone to the doctor before and you had this little mole on your skin? And you say, oh, that's no big deal. It's just a little mole. And you go to the doctor and they tell you, oh, no, that's not just a little mole. That's melanoma. And as you know about melanoma, it can kill you quick. It can kill you quick, quick, quick. And so I'm trying to tell you, it's pride is more than a character flaw. It's something that can really wreck your life. You may well be, just like I said last week, fear you know, keeps us from really enjoying all that God has for us. So does pride. So does pride. It's just a big, big deal. Um, some of our ladies are going through a Bible study on Wednesday night with Pastor uh, Craig Rochelle, Pastor's Life Church, and um, well, I think like the third largest church in America. And uh, the sermon series is kind of weird. It's called Relational Vampires, but it's what do you do with people who suck the life out of you? And so Craig Rochelle's talking, and here's what he, here's what he says. My critical spirit, and I assume he's talking about himself, my critical spirit is always led by pride, ignorance, or hurt. So if you find yourself with a critical spirit, underneath that, Craig Rochelle says in his life, and I would only say amen, and by the way, I would add the fourth one, insecurity. That's called me. That's my big pride downfall is insecurity. When I feel insecure, I get very prideful, very quick, and watch out for me more than anything else. But my critical spirit is always led by pride, ignorance, or hurt, and I would add insecurity. So pride's a big deal. Pride's a big deal. So, so probably, like we did last week, we ought to look at the beginning. Should we not? Should we not go back and say, well, where did this come from? Well, you remember we said last week about fear. We said fear was a bad gift from the enemy. We've all gotten bad gifts before. Okay? Well, fear was a bad gift from Satan. And guess what pride is? It's another bad gift from the enemy, from Satan. Now, we are fortunate in the, book of, in, in the Word of God to have the origin of pride. I'll read it to you. I think we'll have it on the screen. It's Isaiah chapter 14, verse number 12. And here's what it says. God speaking, shining morning star, how you have fallen from the heavens. You destroyer of nations, you have been cut down to the ground. So there's the introduction. Destroyer of nations, you've been cut down to the ground. Why? Well, you said to yourself, no one else was listening, so he's talking to himself. You said to yourself, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the God's assembly in the remotest parts of the north. I will ascend. I will ascend above the highest clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So first off, Pride was the original sin before there was even a world. Pride was the original sin, and it cost Satan his job. Many believe, if you look at the book of Ezekiel, that Satan was the, uh, as an angel, uh, in his premier position, was the worship leader of heaven. He was on the holy mount of God. And he got so close to God and wanted it so badly, he sinned. Pride came into the universe, okay? And that's where pride came from. And by the way, isn't it funny, Satan, uh, that when Satan came into the Garden of Eden, okay, and you know what he told Eve? God doesn't want you to be 
uh, to know this because if you do, you'll be like him. Remember what he said? What was his sin? I would be like the Most High. That's what he told Eve. Eve, Eve, God God doesn't want you to know about this because if you know about it, you'll be like him. He shared his sin, his pride with her. And she bit the bullet and she ultimately sinned. So just like he says in verse 15, but you, God, you will be brought down, God says, you will be brought down to Shoal, to the deepest regions of the pit. And that's exactly what happened with Satan. So you need to understand something, that pride will cause us to fall. Pride will cause us to fall. It's not something to ignore. Have you noticed something? The worst elements in the world are internal. You may get a melanoma, and you can see that, but, but cancer can be hiding in your innards, and you don't even know it. I, we look at Stacy, our Jesus' niece, who died very recently, and she was eat up with bone cancer and did not even know it until three weeks before her death when she had a backache. But she was eat up with cancer. My own mom, my own mom, you know, we, we got a call and said, if you want to see your mom alive, you, we're in Germany. You can come home right now. So we hopped a, a plane from Germany to America and got home two days or really 20, 26 hours before she died. And she was literally eat up with cancer and did not know it. So pride, if it's lurking around under the surface, we really need to ask God to help us deal with it. So what are we going to do? Okay, this is where the weird part comes in. You know, Judy, you said that to help the people remember the stories, you put 86 or 83 rocks in a row, okay? I thought it was a really cool idea, by the way. I'm going to get me a bunch of rocks. Keep me on track with my sermon, all right? But I thought today, as I was thinking, we have, we have, a, we have three men I want to talk about today or share from the Word of God with, okay? And I want you to imagine in your mind, I want you to get your arms around this, that we have in the room with us today a panel of three experts. So imagine I've got three chairs set up here. Okay, in fact, I'll tell you what we'll do just to help you remember what we're doing because it's important. We have three chairs. We have three guests here today. Now, they're not really here with us because they died a couple thousand years ago. But we have three men. Uh, We have James, we have Peter, and we have Paul. Mary couldn't make it. Peter, Paul, and Mary. So anyway, so we have three guys with us today. And all three men, okay, are experts in pride. Okay? We could take our brother James. Um, James was, are you ready? You know this, some of you. James was the half-brother of Jesus. Now, that's pretty cool if you think about it. Okay? He grew up in the household with the Son of God. Okay, so so we have we have Jesus and we have James, the half brother. Okay, Uh, different dads, (laughs) different dads. Okay, and so so here's James. Now, James, as far as we know, we don't have really anything in the Bible that once James became a believer that would indicate he wrestled with this. I mean, he could really play that card. You know, he could have said, hi, my name is James. And yes, Jesus was my big brother. We don't have any evidence of that. But here's what we do have evidence of. That until after the resurrection, he wanted nothing to do with Jesus. You know, and he thought Jesus was crazy, and I'm not being funny. His family thought he was nuts. And so James' pride would say, I don't want nothing to do with my nutty brother. He thinks he's the son of God. And it wasn't until after the resurrection 
that undeniable fact that James came to the conclusion he was. He was. And then he became the leader in the Jerusalem church. Okay? So that's James. Here we have our friend Peter. Now we all know Peter. Peter was famous for several things in the Word of God, and pride was one of them. Um, at one point, particularly, you know, Jesus says, you know, you guys are all going to run away from me. And Peter pulls his pants up a little bit, struts his stuff, and says, let me tell you something, Jesus. He said, you see those other 11 losers? They may leave you, but I never will leave you. And in fact, I'm willing to die for you. And Jesus said, hey, dude, before the rooster crows three times, you know, twice, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And that's just one instance. So Peter was always strutting his stuff. God used him in a great way, but he really had to wrestle with the pride issue. And then over here, we have Paul. Now, Paul, really on a couple levels, Paul was a professional religious person. He was a Pharisee. His job was to be good. He knew the law and, and made it his business to make sure he kept the law to the smallest degree. He would, he would not deny the fact, I am Pharisee and proud of it. Okay? And, of course, then he met Jesus. All right? And then it's really cool is, is God radically changed him. But really, if you look at his teachings a little along the way, he's always defending himself. He did ultimately say, though, that I'm the chief of sinners. And that's what he was. The chief, if he said he was, I believe him. Okay? But his first years, he was just, I mean, he was just tainted with pride. Tainted with pride. In fact, it's rather interesting. If you look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, okay, you know, there Paul says, I got this thorn in the flesh from God, okay, that I would not be conceited. God knew he had a propensity toward pride, and so God sent him something to keep him humble. Okay, so these are our three experts. We have James, we have Peter, and we have Paul. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at writings from those three guys. And keep in mind, if this is going to work, keep in mind our panel discussion. Okay, that's going to be the transition between the scriptures we're going to look at. And we're going to discover pride. Okay, and we're going to look at how we can be overcomers for it. All right. All right, here we go. Our first scripture is James chapter four, verse one. James chapter four. Verse 1, okay? Now, James, if he was here today, would say something like this. We're glad you came today. Let me get the ball rolling. So James on our panel would say, let me get the ball rolling. And here's what he would say in James chapter 4 and verse number 1. He goes, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? So James would start out and say, okay, there's, there's some quarreling going on. Now, this is in the church, Amongst the believers, okay? There's quarreling and fighting going on. Now, here's what's unusual. In Acts chapter 2, when the church was first birthed, okay? I mean, we were all one big happy family. You need my car? You can have my car. You need my supper? You can have my supper. They were all of one accord and one mind. Everybody was happy. By Acts chapter 6... Just a few months down the road, we've already got something going on because the Hellenists thought that the Jewish Christians were not treating their widows right. So just a little while from, from everything's hunky-dory, some people in the church are mad because the widows aren't being uh, taken care of in their sight. In their sight. Then we have James coming along, and it's not much further down the road. Maybe 10, 12, 18, 20 months down the road. 
and what was total perfect unity, and then we had a little fuss in the church. Now James says, what causes fights and what causes quarrels among you? How amazing is that? Isn't it sad that in so often the church is more famous for its fights than its ministry? Isn't it a shame Facebook lights up with fighting around the believers? Isn't that funny? And it's sad. And it's sad. Well, James says, he tells, he, he asks the question, answers the question. So what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. In other words, you got the I wants. Me, 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 me. I want, I want, I want. I want this, I want that. I want this, I want that. We had this passions at war amongst you. You see, a lot of people with pride have the, I've been waiting to say this, measles. Measles. Get it? Measles. Okay, well, boy, that was my ace in the hole. But reshuffle the deck, okay? So, so he says. So he says it's the stuff going on. We, hey, we have. No, I'm sorry, not we. I have rights. I write checks to the church. I've been a member of this church for so long. Or out in the community. I've worked in this school district. Out in the coal mine. I've done this. Me, 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 me. And it's a war of passions. And keep in mind, we're talking about believers. Okay, now about this time, Paul, yeah, Paul would chime in. Okay, so so James says that and then Paul chimes in and you will recognize it from Romans chapter seven. Now, a chunk of Romans chapter seven is in the nutshell is this. Paul would say, I know the things I should do and I don't. And I know the things I shouldn't do and I do them instead. I know the things I should do and I don't. And I turn around the things I shouldn't do. I ended up doing them. That's what a chunk of Romans 7 is all about. Well, Paul would chime in now and say this. He would say, I know exactly what you mean, James, about the passion and the wars. He says in Romans chapter 7, verse 21. So I discover, Paul says, this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. He says, when I've got the, I know it's right to do it, then there's this evilness about me that says, no, you don't want to do that. Can anybody identify with that? How many times have you known what is right? You know you should get, forgive. You know you shouldn't be bitter. You know you shouldn't spend. You know you shouldn't do. Okay? You've got that. And then there's this little voice whispering here saying, go ahead and do it anyway. You've got the right to be bitter. You've got the right to be angry. You've got rights. You should exercise those rights. Well, that's what Paul is saying. So I discovered this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. And then he goes on and says, verse 22, For in my inner self, I delight in God's law. And I truly believe that's right. Not only for him, but for us. Those of us who have been believers for a while, we're not God-haters, we're God-lovers. And buried deep within us is this desire to do what is right. But then he says the but word. Okay? 23. But I see a different law in the parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind. And taking me prisoner to the law of sin and the parts of my body. Let me break that down for you. 
What he says is, I, I have this in my flesh, I have these desires. And who I am in my natural in my natural flesh, I have these desires. And then and then those natural desires press against my mind. You're conscious if that makes you if that's easier to grab a hold of. And in your mind you're wrestling, going, No, I shouldn't do that. Yes, I should. No, I shouldn't. And you make a decision, okay? And then based on that decision, if you decide wrongly, then it takes you prisoner of the law of sin and the parts of your body. In other words, there's destruction. There's destruction. So so you have you have desires, you have decisions, and if you choose wrongly, you have destruction. That's what he's saying. And we had this, this flesh thing going on in our heads, and we know what's right. And then we either would word vomit and say the wrong thing, or we act rashly, we don't push the pause button. And my goodness, the consequences. How many marriages have ended because someone didn't say no? They knew what was right, but they thought they could get away with it. They thought it'd be okay. They thought it wouldn't get caught. <laughs> Some of you have paid the Illinois, State of Illinois a lot of money because you thought you wouldn't get caught. And you did. And you did. Well, that's kind of what's going on in Romans chapter 7. So James then would chime in, okay? Then James would take the floor back. He says this. Well, that's right, Paul. Here's what you need to know. He says, you know, that instruction says, You desire and do not have, so you murder. Now, you know, in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus said, you know, He equates anger to murder. Okay, when we're angry at our, angry at our brother, He equates it to murder. So James says, yeah, you, you know, you desire to do, to do and you do not have. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You murder. He equates hatred to murder. And then goes one step further. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So over here, you desire it and you can't have it. So inside you're going, oh, dear. How, how come God blessed them? How come they got that? I deserve it. I deserve it. And then you go public. It, that desire turns into a covet, and you get more and more, and you go public. You don't care. Who knows? You just bleh, You blurt out. Well, I think this, or I think that. And then another casualty is, watch this. You do not have because you do not ask. Guess what a, guess what a casualty of pride is? Your prayer life. I mean, trust me. When pride is either A, lurking under the surface, or B, you've gone public with it, you're not praying very much. It becomes a memory. And, James says, should you pray, it looks like this. You ask and do not receive. You ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. God, smite them. Strike them dead. Kill them all. And God's over going, really? <laughs> really? So then James would continue. And he, 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 if he was on the panel day, you'd get mad at him. Because he says, you adulterous people. And you go, now preacher, calm down. <laughs> Mr. Panel member James, calm down. But, but wait a minute. Wait for it. Because here's what he says. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? In other words, don't you know that... Now, when you're acting like this, when pride is an issue and, and you're coveting and you're desiring wrong things, you stop praying and when you do pray, it's wrong. You're not acting like a Christian. You're acting like the world. And James just simply says... 
Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? It's an inner friendship with the world is an inappropriate friendship. Now, in case you don't know, let me help you. If you're here today, and you're a male, and you're married, okay, it's okay to have friendships with the opposite sex. Distant, public friendships. It's not okay to have inappropriate friendships, private friendships, intimate friendships. Do you see the difference? I've got a lot of ladies who are my friends. I've got one close, intimate friendship, and she's sitting on the front row. And that's not prideful because I always say, God, don't let me be stupid because I have a history of too many stupids in my life. That's why I love preaching because I'm going, that's me. That's me. Now, in this case, by the way, it's not me with the inappropriate friendship. But do you get that picture? Okay. Well, James is saying, be careful not to have intimate, close, personal relationship with the world. With the world. See, your boyfriend is God, not the world. Your girlfriend is not the world, it's God. Are you getting it? Are you getting it? And you can tell by the way who your boyfriend is, by how much time you spend. You can tell your girlfriend is, by how much time you spend, how much money you're spending. If your time and money is going to the world, you've got the wrong boyfriend or girlfriend. All right, so he goes further though. He says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, if you're wanting to have your boyfriend, girlfriend be the world, it makes himself an enemy of God. Woo! That brother Jesus is saying this stuff. He's saying if you're comfortable, and watch, if you're comfortable making friends with the world, then you're at odds with God. And that includes pride. If you're saying, I know I'm pride. I know I am. I'm proud. I know it. If you're comfortable with that, something's wrong. Something's wrong. You've got a wrong relationship going with the world. And then he says this, or do you suppose, verse 5, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealousy over the Spirit, small s, the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? See, God is jealous of us. I think that's the right wording. He loves us so much, he doesn't want to share us with anybody. We are the apple, listen to me, we are the apple of his eye. And he's not going to share you with the world. That's a good place for an amen. He's not going to share you with Satan. You know, if you're married and you have a boyfriend or girlfriend on the side, it's disaster. And you cannot serve two masters. And God says, I love you and I am jealous for you. I am jealous for you. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. So, so then Paul speaks up again. Paul speaks up again. And here he goes. Paul chimes in and says... In Romans 7, what a wretched man I am. By now you're going, that's right. Boy, I am, you're right. I, if I was honest, I'm a wretched man. Paul says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And this, this, is, the, this is where we start going down the other side. Okay? We've reached the point of all the bad news. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Who can rescue me from sin? Who can rescue me from pride? Who can rescue me from arrogance? Who can help me make the right decisions? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Religion 
is not the answer. Religious ritual is not the answer. The answer is Jesus Christ. The answer is an intimate, personal, thriving, growing, real relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the answer. That is the answer. Now, now he goes on, okay, and, and James would jump in now. James would jump in now and say, you know, Paul, I totally agree with you. When Paul said, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, James would say, Pot, spot on, Paul, spot on. Because James turns around and says in verse number 6, but he gives more grace. Shoot that thing. Now, I know, I know. again, once again, if you're not, if you're not like normal, okay, we normal people, we sin. We just do. I know some of y'all think you're perfect. Okay, you're not, but that's okay. Think that. But we sin. But I love God's grace. James comes along and says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Spot on, Paul, because he gives more grace. I said something Sunday night or Wednesday night. We can't out God's grace. We can't out God's grace. His grace is sufficient. But then James says this. He says, therefore, he says, God, now listen, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you want grace, you're going to have to humble yourself. If you want to be at odds with your father, be proud. You want to butt heads with God, be proud. You want to receive grace, be humble. And then, of course, Peter finally jumps into the show. Peter's been sitting there all quiet. Finally, Peter now joins the, joins the panel. And he says, you know, Peter chimes in. All of you, he says, Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 5. All of you clothe yourself with humility. Clothe yourself with humility. That's how, how, how do you be humble? You clothe yourself with humility. You know, Peter, James, remember James? You all lost sight of James, have you? James um, wasn't in the upper room the night before Jesus died, the Last Supper. James wasn't there. Paul wasn't there either. Paul wasn't there. Peter was. Peter was there when Jesus took off his robe and put on a servant's towel and and picked up a towel and a basin and began washing the disciples' feet. And he went around that room. The Son, come on now, the Son of God, the Creator of the universe, takes off his robe, puts on a servant's garment, and goes around and washes the dirty, stinking feet of 12 men. That's incredible. And you tell me, because Peter was the only one that was there, you tell me he's not having a flashback. Clothe yourself with humility. Be willing to kneel down before your brother and wash his feet. Be willing to do whatever God asks you to do for the kingdom. Whether it's Africa, whether it's back to school, whether it's Judgment House, whether it's fire alarms next Saturday, whether it's forgiving your neighbor who does not, you do not, you do not deserve your forgiveness. Loving your brother who doesn't deserve your love. Whatever it is, uh, Peter says, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. And then he 
He repeats what James says. Again, it's so cool because it's like a panel. Then he says this, because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. How about that? How about that? And then, and then in James 4, 7, James chimes in again. James jumps, jumps back in the conversation and would say, well, now, if Peter is right, then there's something we should do. If Pe- and he's right. If Peter's right, there's something we should do. We should submit ourselves or yourselves, therefore, to God. Then James said, after Peter said, clothe yourself in humility, then James chimes in and says, you know what we should do? We should submit, we should surrender ourselves to God. The first big step in killing pride is surrender. The first big step in killing pride is surrender. I am crucified. I am what? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So James says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. Resist the devil who's in your ear whispering, you've got rights. You've got privileges. Don't let them tell you this. Don't let people push you around. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then some of us think up and say, well, what's the best way to resist? Well, then Peter chimes back in, in 1 Peter 5, 8. He says, well, you've got to be sober-minded. You've got to be serious-minded. You've got to remember that sin is a serious deal because, practically speaking, it impacts your life in such big ways. It's a big deal because it's a big deal to God. We need to be serious-minded about it. That's what we need to do. He said we need to be alert because your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone to devour. And guess what bait he's dangling? Guess what bait he's dangling? P-R-I-D-E. And you can't preach on pride without calling attention to the fact that what's the middle letter? I. I. I'm telling you, he will dangle that big old piece of red meat in front of you called pride. And I'm telling you, he'll say, you deserve better. You know, if God loved you, why don't you have what they have? Who are they to boss you around? Who are they to do this? They'll, they'll, they, he'll dangle that pride, that red meat, in front of you so he can devour you. In fact, by the way, you know what they call a group of lions? Pride. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prying about like a roaring lion looking for anyone he may devour. And then James would chime in. <laughs> Isn't this like a panel? Are you getting it? Are you following it? Then James walks in with James 4, 8, 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God. <laughs> By the way, the lion can't eat you if you're next to the master of the universe. Lion can't eat you if you're near the master of the universe. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Then Peter chimes back in. Well, you need to humble yourselves. You need to humble yourselves. You have to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. There's a time of exaltation coming. Let God do it. Put all your cares on Him because He cares for you. And He does. Spot on. Spot on. And finally, James, James kind of starts closing it up now. The panel's over. <laughs> you love this. <laughs> he goes, Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Doesn't that encourage you? Someone needs to look at their wife now and go, and this is why I love to go to church. 
You got to keep something in mind. See, Ecclesiastes 3.1 says this. He wasn't on the panel. Solomon wasn't on the panel. There's an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. There's a time, James says, for wretched mourning and weeping. Laughter into mourning. Your joy. And when is that, Duane? It's called repentance. It's repentance. It's when finally we realize, after me talking for 40 minutes, 35 minutes, how long it's been, going, wait a minute. This is an issue for me. This is something for me. And that should cause mourning, that we are allowing sin to exist in our lives. And a call to repentance. You know what repentance is? You know, the first illustration we we'll always use is go in this direction and turn it around. But the second one is a change of attitude. It's a change of attitude. It literally means a change of attitude. We start thinking, you know what? I'm a rock your world, hang on. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about them. It's about others. When we preach our series on joy near Thanksgiving, it's the old saying, Jesus, others, you. A change of attitude that says, you know what? God, I need to worship you, surrender to you. Be your child. Just just live as you want me to live. And Father, I need to be concerned about others, not me. I shouldn't, I shouldn't think that the, I'm the son and all the plants revolve around me. That should be about you. We have a call in. The phone's ringing. Hello. Yes, you have, a, you have a statement to make for the panel and for our audience today? Yes. And it's David. It's David from David and Bathsheba. It's David from the time when Nathan shows up and points his bony finger and says, You are the man. Remember that, David? He wrote Psalm 51 and he said this, God, you do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The answer to pride is not, sorry Judy, is not a bigger gift to Lottie Moon. The answer to pride is not a bigger check to Dorisville. He says, you don't want a sacrifice, or I would give it, you're not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. I mean, give the big gift to Lottie. That's a great idea. But the answer to sin and forgiveness is a broken heart. It's saying, God, I'm wrong, and you're right. It's just an honest, if we're honest, an honest confession. God, I'm wrong. And you're right. So James closes with one comment. Ends the panel. And he would go in closing. Humble yourselves before the Lord. This is verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will exalt you. The answer to pride. Humble yourself before the Lord. And let him exalt you. I hope this has been helpful to you. Really hope it's been helpful.
I've seen it, the devastation of pride in my life. Gosh. Brent, my first seven, eight years here, I was so stupid. I can't stand it. I was just so dumb leadership-wise. I was so prideful. I was so insecure. Hate it. Can't change it. God's forgiven it. But I hate it. I know. I'm speaking from personal experience. I know the evil effects of pride. And still battle it today. Still battle it today. Don't blow this message off. Ask God to truly look in your marriage, in your parenting skills, students, in the way you view your parents, on the job, in the community. See how it looks, what it looks like, and make sure, make sure that at the center of it all is God's amazing grace and Jesus Christ and His love and forgiveness. Make sure that's what's at the middle. Would you bow your heads and let's pray. If you're here today and we didn't talk, I, I didn't walk over to the cross today. Could have. Because that's what it's all about. Not the cross, the man on the cross. Because, you know, the Bible says every person sinned and comes short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. And God loved us so much, He sent His Son Jesus to die because the payment for sin is death. And then He says, whoever will come, black, white, green, yellow, rich, poor, Big sin list, small sin list. It doesn't matter. He invites every person to come in a relationship with Him when they're willing to turn from their sin and follow Christ. If that's you today, my friend Brent's going to be standing down front. And we would love to tell you how you can become the friend of God. How your sins can be forgiven and you can call Him Father. And that just leaves the rest of us, doesn't it? All of us. I would challenge you today, the big picture, the big takeaway. God, would you show me any area in my life where pride's an issue? And then, God, would you, by your grace, help me to forsake it and turn away from it, that I might follow you and love you more? If there's issues in your life, like I told you, ask God to forgive you, and he will. He will. His grace is sufficient. We can't outsend God's grace. He giveth more grace, James says. So this is our time of decision. The altar is open. If you'd like to come and pray, uh, we have some friends who will pray with you if you want that. If there's a decision about joining the church or whatever, we invite you to come for that. Um, if you just want to come, uh, we'll be glad to answer any questions that you have today to the best of our ability. So thanks, God. We sure love you today. This time is your time. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Tear down any barriers or walls that are there. Jesus, we pray in your precious name. Amen.